Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality, sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chinookie. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Had more time with just me than he's with had both. with both of us. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, yeah. and when did that happen? Was it, you said eight months in? So, Six months we, in? he moved in January. We followed in February. And by October, he was with her and mm. left in January mm. of the following year. I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. So, we've been up there. Just plugging away. I live in a little town called Poos, mm-hmm. Poos Coopy. I don't know if you've been. No idea. <laughs> you know where it is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, it's really funny because if you don't know Poos, yeah. you kind of look and but as soon as you say Poos and people yeah. know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I By the way, we have, uh, we have Dee as a guest in case you're wondering who we're, who's talking on the recording. Oh. Dee is here. Dee, thank you for being yes. here. Yes, okay. Please continue. We were talking about a town that I have no idea where it is. So I think it's supposed to be French. It's actually, well, people think it's French because I guess Pousse Coupe is cut thumb mm. in French, but that's actually not where the, the name came from. Okay. It was from an indigenous chief local to the area whose name was like Pus Coupe or something like mm-hmm. that. And so then when, of course, as all white people do, when they came to the area, they were like, oh, I know that. So let's change mm-hmm. it to Poos Coopy. And, yeah. and we just call it Poos. Yeah. So everybody Poos. knows exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> 600 people, like yeah. just a booming metropolis. Yeah. Well, that's wild. So Costco today was a big treat for me. I think mm-hmm. three times the size of Poos was in Costco today. So. Oh, my goodness. Some of those stores are huge, like small Ridiculous. towns. I know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So tell us, what, tell us your story. My your whole story. story. People are dying to know. <laughs> I doubt people are dying to know my story. Well, you story. know what? They might not even know that they're dying to know. And once they know, they won't be dying anymore. Well, let's see. Um, I grew up, I was born in Red Deer. Grew up in a really, um, my mother and, and biological father were extremely <clears throat> fundamentalist mm. Protestant, right? The holy roller. Uh, they were... Jesus people who got mm-hmm. saved and uh, they were they don't <laughs> they never like to admit this but they were drug people mm-hmm. who Jesus became their drug uh, yeah. which in a lot of ways is is 
can be more dangerous mm -hmm. <laughs> than actual drug addiction. It sure can be. Um, and so I was, I was raised in this extremely legalistic, mm. um, very constraining environment. And um, particularly girls, girls had a place and, mm. and they had a role and that was their job. And a lot of, um, a lot of shame in my childhood, right? A lot of, um, and a lot of confusion because childhood, you know, looking back is, is a time when you're very innocent about what's going on around you and yet there's so much assigned to you, intentions assigned to your mm. actions or... Um, and a lot of it's stuff you don't understand. You don't. Yeah. And looking back, I was like, confusion is a big word in my childhood. Like mm. I was confused by a lot of things. But my mother and, and biological father um, divorced when I was five, and um, he sort of left and rode off into the sunset and never really had anything more to mm -hmm. do with us. I, I met him a few times when I was an adult, um, but he was not a good person <laughs> anyway. Mm -hmm. And then my mother remarried, and, and my, my stepfather, so my mom had four kids with my biological father, mm -hmm. Um, including my adopted brother, Daniel, mm. that you would be familiar with. Yeah. And when she remarried, my stepfather had two, um, two boys who fit between my younger sister and I. And years later, my older sister's first child was raised by my parents. She was quite mm. young when she had him. So there was kind of seven of us. And my stepdad was a lot like my mom in the sense of he was a hippie right? Mm -hmm. And if you understand kind of that time frame in the church, particularly the Protestant church, um, Jesus really became their drug. Mm -hmm. And they, um, there was this very authoritative male presence in the church. Um, you know, authority was God-given and you never questioned that. Also, growing up very evangelical. Um, well, wow, that shit just resonates so many bells in my head as you're talking. I'm just like, Jesus. Well, it, and, yeah. and this idea that you cannot interpret the word of God. You mm -hmm. cannot interpret God's will. You, someone else has to do that for you, mm -hmm. which is so funny because it's kind of, it, it's completely, it's not even kind of, it's completely opposite of what the message of Christ was, mm -hmm. right? When we think about, that Christ came to tear that veil so we had open mm -hmm. access to God, the concept that now someone else becomes that. Yeah. And I can remember so much confusion as a child because I would read the word and then hear the word from someone else and then see the word lived out. And those were three very different things, mm -hmm. right? And a lot God, of... They um, were. A lot of, like, it didn't make sense, mm -hmm. right? Um, I suffered a lot of abuse as a child, both with my biological father and different people in the church as well, mm -hmm. which further was um, very confusing, right? I remember how you and I met mm -hmm. through Central. I had not gone to church for probably 10 years. Okay. And I got drugged there by my ex-husband who was in recovery. 
And I remember your dad saying that first night, well, this is a safe place. And I was like, bullshit. Can I swear? Sorry. <laughs> well, that's um, okay. You can swear. Bullshit. Yeah. Like church is not a safe place. That was yeah. never my experience. Um, here, the church, here. it's people, um, it's doctrine was never safe. Mm -hmm. And so, and I just remember sitting there. I actually <laughs> went to church and halfway through the service actually rushed to the basement and threw up because I just the trauma of mm. it had been so long and to hear wow. but your dad started to say the things that I believed but no one had ever articulated mm -hmm. and I had never heard the church was safe I had never heard that God loved me you know your dad does that thing at the end of every service about God's radical relentless love mm -hmm. for us that was not I knew that that's what it should be but that was not my experience mm -hmm. of it um and when, you know, as an adult or a young adult, when I started to tell the truth about some things in the church, um, instead, of, instead of helping me or um, they covered for my abusers, <coughs> they, um, their response was, well, you have to forgive. Mm -hmm. Um, write a letter and rip it up. You know, the, the whole garbage of that somehow this was my mm -hmm. fault. And I mean, one of my abusers to this day is a teacher in a Christian school and they will do nothing. So as a, you know, as a young adult, um, you start to see these things and you think, okay, this, there's a real disconnect here. Mm -hmm. There's a disconnect between what I, mm -hmm. what I believe God to be and what I'm seeing his name used as. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because when you, I was reading, I don't remember who it was, but that that first sort of, your first kind of interaction with a person who sells himself as a spiritual authority in your life, mm -hmm. that becomes your mental image of who God is. Mm -hmm. And I still, I've said this a lot in my life, I have a pretty good relationship with Jesus, I think. I'm still a bit standoffish with the idea of God. Mm -hmm. um, and because I didn't, I mean, my stepfather became a great guy mm -hmm. um, but growing up for many reasons he was not uh, a safe individual mm -hmm. my biological father was not a safe individual and so it's almost offensive to call God father for mm -hmm. me um, because it's not safe yeah right and I think that's the experience of so many people mm -hmm. when you start to say well you know oh think of your father and him being loving or mm -hmm. That's not the experience of many, many people. Mm -hmm. And so the, the person of Jesus, I, I was always kind of okay with. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think uh, I was having a conversation with my mom today. Um, this idea that Jesus is this white American patriotic, you know. That, Riding that, a dinosaur with an American <laughs> flag. Right, the, this, this like <laughs> crusader of American democracy is just... So crazy. I mean, when you he, say it like that, it sounds crazy. But but they they I know they 
they sell the t-shirts and know. they drink the Kool-Aid, right? Like yeah. it's so crazy. It's wild. But when you really look at the person that Jesus was, I mean, he was, excuse the term, a dirty hippie. That's exactly mm -hmm. what he would have been, right? He would have been championing, you know, championing the, the rights of the downtrodden mm -hmm. and, call, you know, the only time he called out anyone was a religious institution, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was just, you know, my, my journey of kind of growing up in that environment. I went on, um, <laughs> I did the whole hook, line, and sinker church thing, did mission trips overseas, mm -hmm. uh, went to Bible college, um, pastored a church, planted churches, the whole deal. And I was probably in my early 20s when I kind of looked around at my life and I kind of thought something is, there's a disconnect here. There's a disconnect between what I believe the point of all of this is and what you're selling me the point of mm -hmm. all of this is. Um, you know, as a, as a evangelical in the early 90s, I was literally tithed into poverty, and that's not an exaggeration. Um, not only was I tithed into poverty, but your time was, uh, I was like a lot of people my age, serving in the church with no, you know, you're working sometimes two full-time jobs to make ends meet, paying into, you know, new church building funds and all of these things. And then ministering, you know, leading in the church for hours a week with, mm -hmm. you know, and the burnout from that and the, um, it, it was just such a bizarre sort of time to kind of start to take stock of my life in my early 20s. And, and the kind of straw for me was when uh, the church that I was pastoring as part of um, there was a, a, you know, sort of an overall church, and then there was all these little outlying sort of churches. And um, the school that was attached, they had caught a man molesting a bunch of children, and they did nothing again. And I'm like, they they covered it up. There was police in the church who like actively covered this up. Um, you know, the parents were told like not even to get the kids therapy mm -hmm. that you know, Jesus was going to make this right. And I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my early twenties going, I'm not okay. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not okay from what happened to me. Um, you've never acknowledged it. Any acknowledgement was either my fault mm -hmm. or, you know, your just responsibility forgive. to forgive. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. which is such a, you know, it's a crock of shit is what it is. Oh, it is. And it's yeah. such a huge thing to carry. Mm -hmm. Um, and still, you know, I'm 46 and I still struggle with what's wrong with me, right? Like what, and, and if you can't wake up today in that forgiveness mindset, there's just tremendous shame, mm -hmm. tremendous. Um, and so one of my abusers actually would use the Bible against me. And it was, well, it was my father, my biological father, but he would say, you know, I would pull away and he'd say, no, what does the Bible say? Mm -hmm. And he'd make me quote scripture to justify what he was doing. Like, 
and then to sit and have them say that that somehow was your responsibility me yeah. or my responsibility to forgive or um or that that this idea that also and i, I can't stand it right this that your your the test of your life is going to become your testimony mm -hmm. drives me absolutely insane mm -hmm. like that may be the case that everything works for the good but sometimes that sucks mm -hmm. right like i'm kind of sick of that mm -hmm. <laughs> well cuz it of, sucks a lot of it the time it does yeah and um this idea that you constantly have to take the high road mm -hmm. you have to be the bigger person you have to god that is so christian for sure oh it is yeah. we and we've we have made a complete like economy on martyrdom mm -hmm. right like i'm just going to i'm not going to have any boundaries i'm not going to have any opinions mm -hmm. apart from what i'm told i'm not going to do anything unless i have the blessing of someone other than like it's just so weird someone more enlightened than me oh completely yeah and oftentimes like we can make that book say whatever we want it to say and we can justify to ourselves, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I grew up in a home. My parents were dry drunks, mm -hmm. right? Um, I know my mother would lose her mind if she knew that I... I but it's true. She, she simply stopped drinking. Mm -hmm. She never dealt with her stuff. Um, both of... Well, all three of my, my parents, my biological father, my stepfather, and my mother... I mean, as an adult, I can look back and I can say, I see why they became what they became. Mm -hmm. But they also should have dealt with their shit mm -hmm. before. And, you know, I've worked really hard and I haven't been good in every way. But with my son, like, if I don't deal with my garbage, mm -hmm. he's going to deal with my garbage. Mm -hmm. um, I was reading an article just this week that trauma actually rewrites your DNA to the point that your child's DNA is rewritten. Mm -hmm. It's not something that we can just go, okay, well, mm -hmm. I'm going to go to the altar on a Sunday morning and somebody's going to pray for me and Jesus is going to magically make that go away. That's, that's just not the case. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in that home watching, you know, I had uncles that were alcoholics, um, but my parents demonstrated that same behavior without the alcohol. Mm -hmm which was confusing, right? Um, my older sister has uh, dissociative identity disorder, okay. um, which was a very strange thing to witness growing mm -hmm. up. That's, um, a, that's a complicated illness. Very much so. Yeah. Even as an adult and understanding it more, um, there's no relationship there. It's, mm. it's, it's impossible to have a relationship with yeah. her, which is awful. I hate it. I hate the fact that I even have to say that, but mm. um, you d because you don't know who you're having a, a relationship with. Yeah. Um, and she, uh, I'm not sure what the exact term is, but severed, I guess, quite young um, and just was kind of never really participated in, in life, mm -hmm. sort yeah. of. Um, my older brother, Daniel, was adopted and was fetal alcohol and was an alcoholic addict in every aspect of his life. Mm -hmm. um, 
he, he didn't know how to do anything a little bit. Um, and I am a terrible enabler. Mm. I just, I mean, that was my job. Um, I had a very clear role in my family of origin. I was a middle child who had to take on an older child's role mm -hmm. because my sister just checked out. Um, and I just enabled. Mm -hmm. So my first husband, I enabled. I thought, you know, I did a little bit when he left, I did a little bit of um, John Bradshaw, child of origin. Mm. Stuff, yeah. but is it John? I think so. Bradshaw, somebody. Yeah. His last name's Bradshaw. And I thought, okay, good, I'm done. Like, mm -hmm. now we're good. Um, nope. Married. <laughs> you just you just go right back to it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's... It's tricky, though. Oh, it is. Yeah. And you... It's funny because... Um, I mean, this part's not funny. But my dad passed away. My stepfather passed away in October. And we just had his funeral. And I'm sorry for your loss. Well, thank you. Um, mm -hmm. But when the family all gets back together, you go right back, Matt. Yeah. Like, we're it's in our... It's amazing how quick it oh, happens. Oh, it's, it's insane. Yeah. We're in our 40s. I haven't seen my younger brother in like four or five years. We're all dressed up beautiful at the church for the funeral. He walks in. I'm having a conversation. Somebody walks over and sucker punches me in the arm. Like, there's no, mm -hmm. you know, I turn around, punch him back. Like you go right back to mm -hmm. exactly who you were, right? Mm -hmm. And I was the fixer. Um, and my compulsion to help was as strong as my ex, my brother, mm -hmm. um, any addict that I've ever had. My compulsion to help them was as strong as their compulsion was to use. Mm -hmm. um, I could tell you stories here in Calgary of, um, I mean, I was taken by gunpoint mm. by my brother's drug dealer to the bank machine to clean out my bank account to pay for his drug debt mm -hmm. as he followed us in the car behind, knowing full well what was happening to me. Um, wow. Dragging him out of the Cecil. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, I'm not that person. Yeah. Um, but going in there and knowing that I had gotten him this job and he needed to work the next day, mm -hmm. um, going to his apartment and finding this raging party going on and little me, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, taking the big guys on, clearing the place out. Um, and you finding that you just do these crazy things mm -hmm. and you go, I don't know who I am in yeah. that moment. But it's interesting because... I believe we all have an addiction. That's why the first commandment is, thou shalt have no gods before me. Anything mm -hmm. that we put in our life, and, and I still struggle with really what I believe God is, mm -hmm. but your higher power, whatever that mm -hmm. belief is, anything that you put above that can become an addiction for mm -hmm. you. For sure. Sadly, my addiction is really socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. In fact, a lot of people find it quite commendable, mm -hmm. um, inspiring, right? That whole martyr mm -hmm. to that, like I'm going to not have any boundaries and you know, I'm going to light myself on fire to keep you warm. Mm -hmm. And I did that in my family of origin. It got to the place with my brother where I realized like 
I didn't break you. Mm -hmm. I can't fix you. But you're going to drown both of us. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to willingly participate in it unless I walk away. And so when I got pregnant um, with my son, I just drew a line in the sand with my brother. Mm -hmm. And I said, I, like, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, I had paid for rehab six times. Mm -hmm. He never got past step five. Uh, looking back, I, I know why. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm no expert, but you know, I've had a lot of people ask me what's the difference between someone who can recover or someone who's in recovery and someone who's not. I really do feel that rigorous mm -hmm. self-honesty and yeah. self-awareness. The, the, it's imperative. It is. And, and yeah. the ability to go, this is the darkness inside of mm -hmm. me and this is the light inside of me. Mm -hmm. They're both equally valid, but I'm going to feed one over the other. Mm. Um, but I had to do that with myself, with mm. my addiction as well, um, because it was it was really an addiction. Yeah. Um, I remember, you know, Pete and Cheryl Sheridan. Mm -hmm. I remember calling your dad one night in the middle of the night uh, when Sheen had fallen off the wagon. And um, your dad's saying, you, you gotta, you got to set some boundaries for mm -hmm. yourself. Like, these people are going to take you down with them mm -hmm. if you don't. And I got, you know, I've gotten good in my life at doing that for like a couple months. Mm -hmm. Right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got this totally figured out. Yeah. And it's crazy how fast you just go right back mm -hmm. into it, right? Um, it's almost like it's, it's so instinctive, it makes us feel like it's our natural instinct. Well, it is. And then I, I remember saying many times that change is so awkward and weird, but there is that point where it starts to feel natural. Mm -hmm. But pushing through to that point. Yeah, is really you got to push it. Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel like the whole world has opinions on addictions too, mm -hmm. right? Everyone be. knew my brother was an addict. Everyone knew my ex-husband was an addict. And everybody was going to tell me how to weather that. Mm -hmm. um, one of the big mistakes that I, that I made in my life was ever thinking that I had any part in their sobriety. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't responsible when they drank. And I wasn't responsible when they sobered up. And mm -hmm. there was no... There was nothing that I was ever going to do that was going to make them better unless they, they chose that. And when I finally cut my brother off, I mean, that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, and he didn't live very much longer after that. Um, he was murdered in Edmonton in 2011. Um, beaten to death with a table leg for $40. Uh, I mean, that was the price of his life. Yeah. 40 bucks um, in a flop house that should have been torn down. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the two men responsible were held for about 90 minutes that night and were so high they couldn't even mm -hmm. articulate a story. The Crown <clears throat> prosecutor finally said, well, based on his lifestyle, I don't think we'll get a conviction. My brother was Cree, mm -hmm. so I'm very clear on what they actually meant. Yeah. <laughs> we have two, two levels of justice in this country. Yeah, we sure do. Um, but that was, you know, the s summation of that. Mm -hmm. 
while this is going on and I'm, you know, weathering this, what I did not know, I thought that my ex was in recovery the 15 mm. years that we were together. That's not the case. Mm. Um, I, I want to believe maybe the first four or five years, but mm. even that might be a little naive on my part. Um, again, there were times when he was dry, mm -hmm. but he was never sober. Mm. Um, also a person multiple times through rehab. Um, and not that that's a failure. Of course not. But multiple times in rehab and yet could never tell you why he drank. Mm -hmm. And I always thought, isn't the point a little bit of rehab to kind of figure that why out or mm. at least find something that I can say, I'm, I, I can't go back there, mm -hmm. right? Um, multiple affairs, mm. right? And I was just this doe-eyed little enabler that thought, okay, well, if I just do this, this, and this, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> your dad actually said when I, when I called him, the one time he's like, he needs 60 meetings. He needs a meeting a day for 60 days. Mm -hmm. I don't care. And so what did I do? I drug him to 60 meetings. Mm -hmm. That's not what your dad meant. Mm -hmm. Your dad meant he needed to get off his ass and get to 60 meetings. Nope, here's me dragging him. And if I couldn't, if it was a closed meeting, I sat outside the door or sat in the mm -hmm. car. I mean, I remember going to one downtown here. We had to walk down this back stairway, down an alley, there was some guy's dog and I waited outside the door. Like, that's not what your dad meant, but here I was, right? I remember going to Central and, and uh, you know, you and I did uh, some stuff together at the Young Offenders mm -hmm. Center and, you know, being involved there, thinking that, that I was in recovery mm. and I wasn't. Um, because I was canoeing that little, you know, paddling that mm. canoe on my own. And he wasn't wanting to change. Mm. And that doesn't make him a bad person and, and me a good person. Mm -hmm. it, it was just the reality of our life. Um, what's strange about an enabler, though, is how surprised you are by your own... Enabling? Like, well, <laughs> surprised by your own enabling, by your own actions and your own failure. Mm. Like, and how easily I give the benefit of the doubt over, mm. like the bullshit that I've been told in my life yeah. that I bought. Like I should be ashamed of myself for the garbage <laughs> that I believe, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. You know, Pete Sheridan used to say all the time, you know he's lying when his lips are moving. Mm. And we'd laugh about that. That was so true. Mm -hmm. Like, but to this day, he'll tell me stuff that I, on some level, I know is just complete garbage, mm -hmm. but I'll believe it because it's like, oh, you know, and expecting. Well, you would never lie to me. Well, expecting <laughs> behavior from other people that you yourself would give is mm -hmm. a really strange thing. And I'm not saying that I would never lie or that I would never, you know, but if I would behave a certain way in a mm -hmm. situation and I it's it really comes down to that root like I think it's easier based on my life and some of the the trauma and abuse that I've had to just believe that people are good mm -hmm. and that 
oh, that was a mistake or that was an mm -hmm. accident or that was not, you know, other people's intentions are always good, mm -hmm. you know, because that's easier to buffer myself with that yeah. than to actually go, you know, some people are just shitty people mm -hmm. and they make shitty choices. True. And even, you know, even my brother, it took me a long time. I had this really idyllic idea of him. Mm. Oh, he wanted to get sober. I don't think he did. Mm. And I remember him saying to me, I'd gotten him a job and I'd set him up in an apartment again, like for the fifth time. And he was out partying and I was so mad at him. And I was like, like, you've got to pull it together. And he said, you know, I don't want the same things from life that you do. And I was like, what do you mean? Everybody mm -hmm. wants the same things from life that I do, don't they? Mm -hmm. Like that moment where you realize that some people don't yeah. want out of that life. Um, I had and they to genuinely don't, for sure. They don't. Um, I had to kind of come to that place with my ex as well, that I would go anywhere with you mm. but there. And so if you're going to go there, then I I can't take a step further, mm. right? I, I can't. You've chosen to go the one place that I can't go with mm. you. And kind of severing that and saying, okay, that's not what I want. So I'm going to stay over here and, and you're going to continue on. Allowing people to hurt is a really difficult thing. Very much so. Um, even now that I'm a mother, like mm -hmm. it, that's the, the worst, the mm -hmm. absolute worst. And it's why boundaries are so important, right? Is because it is. Watching people we love suffer is fucking impossible, right? And Especially suffer if we when... No when <laughs> one of my first memories of your dad too at, at Central was him saying one night at church that, you know, there is a God and it's not you. Mm -hmm. And I was actually offended for a moment. <laughs> like in my heart, I was offended. You were like, how do you know I didn't create the universe? I was like, <laughs> I, uh, but it was so funny because I remember this like internal dialogue of holy, that's messed up. But holy smoke, did he just say that? Mm -hmm. Like, this idea that I could do a better job than mm -hmm. you at your shit storm over there. Mm -hmm. And it's true. It's, it's this, if you want the job, it's yours. This well, shit storm <laughs> is anyone who wants it. But it's, <laughs> it's this weird perfectionist thing too, right? Mm -hmm. Perfectionism is such a, it's such a result of trauma. Hey, mm -hmm. like I just Very need much. everything to be perfect. And if I just keep everything looking perfect, mm -hmm. We're on time. And we'll we're feel dressed safe. nicely. And what I can control, mm -hmm. right? Um, because my childhood was so unsafe. It was mm -hmm. so unpredictable. It was so confusing that I need my adult life to be predictable and safe. Mm -hmm. And and if you don't know how to make your life safe, then I'm going to tell you how to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because the addicts that I've loved in my life they want that for a little while, mm -hmm. but then they ultimately don't. And then you're so deeply hurt when they don't want you anymore. Mm -hmm. And they don't want, well, how, how could you not want that? Don't you need my help still? Isn't that what mm -hmm. the ultimate goal of this whole thing is, is for you to be what I want you to be? Mm -hmm. And letting go of, is it in the serenity prayer that goes on accepting the world as it is 
Yeah, basically. This broken world as it is, not yeah. as we want it to mm -hmm. be. That's a really tough thing to let Very go Very much of. so. That the world should be different. Mm -hmm. It really should. Um, There's no question it should be, but it isn't. It's not. <laughs> yeah. And so what, th what then do I do with that information, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, I spoke at my dad's funeral a couple of weeks ago, and I, I said, I don't know if you came to Daniel's funeral. I, I don't think you did. I know no, your dad I, was I think I met you after that. Yeah. Uh, it was right after that. Yeah, yeah, it was right after his service. But I said something similar when Daniel died as well, that, you know, now what do we do? What do mm -hmm. we do when, like, we so desperately wanted Daniel to recover mm -hmm. and never did. I mean, drugs didn't kill him, but ultimately they did. Mm -hmm. um, and my dad, I mean, he laid in that hospital bed till his last breath, believing God was going to heal him. Mm -hmm. That's a tough thing to watch, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, you know, now what do we do? What do we do with the world that we have, mm -hmm. not the one that we want? And I feel like, and I say to my son all the time, but our job is to take what Jesus, <laughs> the person of Jesus, that the, the reality of who he was, and actually make that reality here. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? Acting justly, loving mercy, and walking mm -hmm. humbly. It's, it's, you know, why is the Lord's prayer what it is? Um, it's learning to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I think we brush over that and we say, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But what does that mean? Mm -hmm. As means in the same manner that I love myself, mm -hmm. right? Um, it means if I'm not capable of loving myself, then I can't love you. And I've realized with, with the addicts that I've loved that they don't love themselves. So they are incapable of, of loving anyone else. Um, and I don't properly love myself either. And so my love just becomes, it is, it's this glorified Mother Teresa love, right? Um, it's this, oh, look at her. Isn't that, isn't she so selfish, mm -hmm. selfless? No, mm -hmm. uh, it's a twisted approval seeking, you know, it's interesting because when we actually look at what the life of Christ was, mm -hmm. the person that he actually was, the things that he actually did, he, he was, yes, he was a martyr in the true sense of the word, mm -hmm. but as a person living day to day, he had very clear boundaries. Mm -hmm. Uh, and times when he said, no, I'm going over here to do this. I'm going to leave you to do that. I'm going to, um, you're not taking a step further. You're not, you know, um, you're not going to throw stones at this woman. Mm -hmm. You're, you know, he was very clear mm -hmm. on these things. Mm -hmm. And I think that we've gotten so confused by that message, mm -hmm. right? Um, well, whatever, sometimes in terms of religion, period overall, all of them, sometimes the message is really lost in the dogma, right? Like it, it really gets lost in the, the fear-based stuff that people kind of tend to hang on to. And of course, so then the rest of humanity who don't believe anyway, they have no interest, right? Yeah. And so of course the story gets twisted because it's only told by people who either believe as he was or believe he should have been the way they wanted him to be. So they describe it like that, right? Depending on their... Yeah. Yeah, it's far out. The faith is something that's incredible. 
especially considering how often it's based on bullshit. Well, completely. <laughs> so and it's it, incredible, though. I think it's interesting, though, so many people with my experience, mm -hmm. right? Um, I have so many friends that look at me and go, how, how do you still believe? Mm -hmm. You know, so many friends that have walked away. I mean, I... <laughs> I I drank the Kool-Aid. I mm. preached to stadiums full of people. I planted churches. Mm. I mean, I was the poster child for that. Um, and I left, but retained this part that just so deeply believes mm. that God exists. Um, not as I used to understand him. Mm. Um, I'm not even sure that that any part of what I believe is correct either. Mm -hmm. But he's not waiting for me to figure that out. Mm -hmm. um, he's he is not he doesn't care what my theology is. He doesn't care what my dogma is. He doesn't care how many scriptures I can quote. Mm -hmm. What he cares about is do I feed people when they're hungry? Mm -hmm. You know, and he was very clear on that. Mm -hmm. Very clear. Um, Am I going to love people in their broken state? Mm -hmm. Because he loves us where we're at. And I, you know, I often think there is nothing, there's nothing that we can do that will ever make God love us any more than right now. But there's nothing that we could ever do that will make us, him love us any less mm -hmm. than right now. Um, and he... Ultimately, and I, you know, I, I've struggled for a long time. Um, I certainly don't believe in, in hell anymore. <laughs> I think we're living it a mm -hmm. lot of times right here. Um, I, I don't believe in that concept anymore. I'm not sure that I, I totally believe in a heaven. Um, yeah, me neither. I or, don't believe in either of them. Yeah. Or that, that concept anymore. Yeah. Um, do I believe that there's something after this? However brief. Yes, there's something. Sure, why not? We, there has to be some... Place our energy goes. Or, or some reckoning that happens. Mm -hmm. I do believe that. I believe that we have to make an account. Mm -hmm. um, good, bad, or other, mm -hmm. right? Um, but beyond that, mm -hmm. even if there was nothing there, um, I never served God because I wanted to go to heaven and mm -hmm. I was afraid of going to hell. And if that's your actual motivation, mm -hmm. then you're a shitty person. Mm -hmm. um, you should be doing the right thing because it's the right thing, mm -hmm. not because you're going to get some... It's it's that whole parental um, reward, yeah. right? Like, do I, do I teach my child to be a good person intrinsically because there's value in that? Mm -hmm. Or is am I doing it so that they get allowance or... They, you know, that garbage system mm -hmm. of am I a good person only when people are watching or am I a good person when nobody's watching? Mm -hmm. And also, am I a good person if I don't get rewarded? Exactly. Like, do I only do good, good things, quote unquote, when they lead to a reward? Obviously, that cuts out a whole lot of good, right? Exactly. If that's all we do. Mm. Well, and, and this, the other thing that I just have struggled with so much is, so you're telling me as a little white girl born in the 70s in Canada, mm -hmm. I, I got this weird Willy Wonka golden ticket. Mm -hmm. My parents just happened to be the right religion, mm -hmm. and they just happened to drill it into me enough that I fell for it. 
that I'm going to live to be hopefully a 98 and die and, and I'm the lucky one, mm -hmm. uh, it's garbage. Mm -hmm. if, if hard work or faith or um, a belief is what got you into heaven, every woman in Africa would be there, mm -hmm. right? Every, every single mother, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yep. And I say that as a single mother because I know how hard it is. Mm -hmm. if, if those things were, if that's what was all that was required, mm -hmm. There's so many people that would get there ahead of me. Mm -hmm. um, and this concept that there's only one way. Yeah. And that God is somehow a vending machine, right? Mm -hmm. If I just if I just say these right things and push these right buttons, mm -hmm. and I spent so many years in that, if I just fasted four days instead of three days, mm -hmm. if I tithed 30% instead of 10%, mm -hmm. if I just did this, this, and this. And it was the same in trying to rescue people, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe if I, just one more time, I go downtown and drag him out of the Cecil. Yeah. One more time, I pay for him to, you know, I fought Salvation Army in town here to change their policy, mm -hmm. to let him, when they changed the Dream Center, when they opened the Dream Center mm -hmm. originally, they weren't going to let him in. And I literally refused to leave their office. Mm -hmm. I mean, I crusaded for him for nothing mm -hmm. because he didn't want to, he didn't want to recover. Yeah. Um, I spent years thinking if I just did this, I would somehow, mm -hmm. it's that, you know, carrot thing, which is such a terrible way to live. Oh, yeah. Religion or uh, otherwise. Or yeah. otherwise. Yeah. Even in my own life, if I just lose 20 pounds, if mm. I just, um, if I just do this somehow, and it's I'll be funny. okay somehow, yeah. Well, and, and when my ex first left, I mean, I was absolutely devastated. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of betrayal is it was beyond anything I'd ever experienced. Oh, that messes with the brain. Um, no I mean, I, I was horribly abused as a child. Mm -hmm. Nothing prepared me for that mm -hmm. as an adult. Nothing. And um, it, it just messes with you on this really deep, deep level. Like cellular level almost. It really right? does. Yeah. And it's, and what it did for me was reinforce everything that my childhood trauma had told me, right? Yeah. And it it's taken me a long time in therapy to realize it had nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. It, it, now, did I play a part? I sure did because I was a terrible enabler mm -hmm. and still am. You know, I mean, I contributed to my own, um, and because I didn't heal sooner, mm -hmm. not because I was wrong or, and I think a lot of people are there, right? We just didn't either. We, we wish we would have healed sooner, right? In our lives. So we didn't cause so much fucking damage. right? Well, and, and for my son too, mm -hmm. there's, there's a few things that damn it. I wish he hadn't, had to go through yeah, no because doubt. I didn't, I didn't fix myself. Mm. Um, and there's many reasons, right? Why, why did my parents not fix themselves? Mm. Um, to be honest, I think our parents didn't have access to a lot of the things that we do. Very true. Um, and so, you know, I kind of tend to give my parents a little bit of a pass. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but well, I, I give them huge pass now. It's, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's amazing how smart your parents become when you become a parent. <laughs> right? Yeah, you start um, figuring out why they said shit. Well, yeah. and, and <laughs> it's amazing how smart adults are when you become an adult too, right? Mm -hmm. Where you go, oh, okay, things start to make sense. But I think as I've started to try to heal my own trauma, looking at my parents has become, I, I've had a lot more grace. Mm -hmm. um, but I also know that Healing is such a deep, and I, I can't, I know that I can't heal myself mm -hmm. because I want my son to have a better life. I need to heal myself because I love myself. Mm -hmm. And if I can properly love myself, then I can properly love my child. Mm -hmm. I can properly love the people around me. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, you know, there, there was a time in therapy when I, I was just so broken at the fact that I had ruined my son's life. Mm. And my therapist kept saying, but this isn't about him. You're mm. sitting in that chair. This needs to be about you. Like we need to, mm -hmm. this needs to be, you need to be a complete person. Mm -hmm. And and when we get there, then we can talk about, and I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm still not there, mm -hmm. but a lot better, you know, being able to say, even naming my trauma for mm -hmm. a long time, I didn't talk about those things. I mean, it wasn't acceptable to talk about those things. Yep. Um, I started talking about it just to make people nauseous. No, I'm just kidding. I talked about it because it was time for us to talk about it. Do you know when I started talking about it? Um, I did it in a very public way, and in hindsight, it was kind of interesting. Mm. Uh, Josh Duggard, when it came out that he had molested, remember the 17 kids and counting, it was on TLC. Anyway, that family, they had... 17 kids and they were mm. like big celebrities and they were like the poster family for the evangelical right. Do you know who I mean? Um, well, it came out that their eldest son had been molesting the daughters mm -hmm. and this, the, as they did, the church started to circle the wagons and protect Josh. And mm -hmm. I became so enraged and my best friend uh, had an online, basically a blog mm -hmm. that I, wrote an article for thinking that, you know, a few people, I couldn't grocery shop here in Calgary without people stopping me. Mm -hmm. um, it went absolutely bonkers, mm -hmm. uh, viral people. And I thought, I was just so angry that I just exposed it. Mm -hmm. I just laid it out and I thought, okay, maybe one or two ladies will read mm -hmm. this, right? It went absolutely nuts. Um, and I was prepared and yet not prepared mm -hmm. at the same time. My mother read it, um, which was very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I know you know what I'm talking about. Because I remember having a conversation with your mom about your book. Uh -huh. And she's just like, <laughs> yep, we just don't. I'm like, uh-huh, okay. a little uncomfortable. You shouldn't have read it, Mom. No, just... <laughs> Let's just leave that. I know you love me. You don't have to read it. Yeah. <laughs> just, you keep your secrets yeah. and we'll all be good. Um, but I, I realized that there was such power in that. Um, it's funny because I spent 20 years, uh, I owned a financial services company and I trained people uh, in financial services. Mm -hmm. So people who worked at car dealerships and banks and sold insurance and investments and I trained them. And it's so funny because one of the most fundamental principles of sales is me too, or mm -hmm. most of my customers, which is also this really fundamental part of life. Mm -hmm. Like knowing that I'm not alone, that 
that also happened to me, that I've felt that way. Um, I don't even have to experience everything you experienced, mm -hmm. but the ability Thank for God me to for say... Thank God for that, too. Uh, sorry? Thank God for that. We don't have well, to experience exactly, but, all the same shit as each other. That I have had that same feeling mm -hmm. or the result of that feeling, right? Mm -hmm. That I also have gone through. And it writing that article... Um, the first woman who, who walked up to me in a grocery store, hand to God, she was a complete stranger. She said, are you D-Rob? I said, yes. And she just burst into tears. And she's like, I read your article this morning. My uncle, and she just, we were in Walmart. Mm -hmm. And she just started this whole, I never even got her name. Mm -hmm. And then she just walked away. And I was like, wow. I called my friend Stephanie and I said, what just happened? Mm -hmm. She's like, but that's the power of the story, right? 100%. It's, it's the power of... Speaking the truth, no matter how uncomfortable it makes people, right? Well, Brené Brown is, is the queen of that, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know who Brené Brown mm -hmm. is, right? That ability to say, this happened, this, and owning our stories, mm -hmm. right? Um, I have done some shitty things in my life, mm -hmm. and I've had some shitty things done to me. That makes me a powerful person when I can say, like, why why are most sexual predators able to control their victims through silence? Because there's tremendous power in silence. There's tremendous power in the shame that says, I can't tell anybody this because mm -hmm. it would be so terrible. And, you and predators know... Yeah. They know almost 100% certainty which kids are going to be quiet. Oh, completely. Yeah. And how to manipulate. It's funny. Yep. Um, them. Now, I don't know. I have some opinions on narcissists. Um, I think we're overusing that word a little bit in our society. Just right like now. we overuse psychopaths or it, whatever. Uh, yeah. Right. It's kind of become a little bit of a buzz phrase. But mm -hmm. I have loved some narcissists and true narcissists in my lifetime. And they're very good at that too. They're very good at looking at what part of you they know they can twist. Well, they um, groom you too, right? Oh, For completely. sure. Completely. Mm -hmm. uh, and the 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 reactive abuse is something that's really. I've learned that in my life too. Um, as an enabler, right? You take a lot, mm -hmm. and then suddenly you snap, and your snapping is the problem. No, the five years of gaslighting is the problem. Oh, and gas. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm telling yeah. you, gaslighting is it. It. I still can't unwrap things mm. in my mind. My biological father was an incredible gaslighter, mm. and still like, and taking away your trust in yourself. It took me so long to learn to trust myself on any level. Mm. Um, big or small yep. decision making. I'm a terrible decision maker because I I don't know how to trust myself. Mm -hmm. I don't in a restaurant nine times out of ten I say to the waitress surprise me mm -hmm. because I literally cannot make a decision. It's terrifying, right? Um, and it seems so silly, mm -hmm. but it's it's all that root of I mm -hmm. I don't trust myself. I don't know how. I don't know my own stories, right? Mm -hmm. I had a therapist say to me like 20 years ago, he said, what you 
you know how children will write their name in wet cement mm -hmm. because they need to be able to come back to this place and say, I was here. Mm -hmm. I experienced this. This was this was this touchstone moment for me. Yeah. And he said, that's what you need in your life. You need to write your name in wet cement mm -hmm. in certain memories and places where you say, no, it does not matter whether you tell mm -hmm. me that did not happen. I was here. And this is what I know. Mm -hmm. And the article that I wrote for Stephanie was that exact mm -hmm. thing for me. It was, this is the moment that I remember. Mm -hmm. um, the two people that were there, I know would, would deny it. One of them, because I've confronted him, has denied it many times. Mm -hmm. But I know, I know mm -hmm. that it happened. And it was that moment where it almost became a lightning rod for a lot of, and not just women. Mm -hmm. I had men, um, teen boys walking up to me saying, hey, like, and I thought, oh my God, like I am a walking mess. Don't ask mm -hmm. me for help, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what to say to you. Get a therapist. Um, but this moment where people were saying, me too, like that happened. And I think it's so important for people to be able to have those times where they say, no, without a doubt, mm -hmm. this took place. Yeah. Um, I know that it's true. And I'm, I'm going to just, it's foundational to who I am. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of things in my life are very enmeshed, right? I, I Every time I'm in therapy, <laughs> I talk to my therapist about, this, my life is kind of like those old Chinese medicine cabinets, mm. right? And I love to compartmentalize things. I'll take things out and I'll talk about this with no emotion and mm. then we'll put it away. But a few of those drawers are full of things that are just all garbled together. Mm -hmm. And I'm never going to be able to pull that yarn apart. And that's okay. Mm. And a lot of people are like that. Like we don't have to it's important for you to dig in and mm -hmm. find those times where you can say this absolutely happened. But I also feel like we each have those little places in our heart that only we go to. Mm -hmm. And it is okay to have those things that I'm never going to, I don't believe I will ever have a therapist, intimate partner um, who will actually know every drawer of my life and that's okay mm -hmm. I think we need those places that we can go back to mm -hmm. that are ours um, and not everyone you know not everyone is uh, Theo Fleury in the sense of I'm going to tell my story to everybody mm -hmm. um, did you read his book no it's hard it's hard read but anyway mm -hmm. um I have other opinions on him, but he mm -hmm. was the first kind of person that came to my mind. Not everybody is going to publicly acknowledge. Nor does everybody okay. need to be. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of people are like me. They need some times of speaking truth and mm -hmm. they need some times that are just mine. Mm -hmm. Some things that are only for me. Um, clearly my older sister, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I lived through exactly the same thing she did. She dissociated. Mm -hmm. I dissociate. I just do it in a very different way. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you, you, oh, yeah. that's a very common. All the time. Uh, yeah. 
It's a, I call it compartmentalizing because mm -hmm. it's, it's socially acceptable to call it that. Yeah. Um, it's now, PTSD is what it, it is, is, right? Completely. It's trauma response for yeah. sure. Um, she has just done it in this medically uh, diagnosable way, mm -hmm. right? That's very on the nose, if you will. Um, watching, well, I think that shows the, the different levels of how people's brains receive things as to how they are reacting to things too, right? Like what we've been through, we might not have anything diagnosable. We yeah. might, I do, but like your sister, it just, all it needs is a little bit of a different gene, right? Yeah. To pop and then she could just, it could go whatever direction it goes, right? It's almost like the different levels of trauma too. Yeah. Because obviously none of us start from, we don't start from the same point, right? No because we've all been through all that different stuff. Yeah. And it leads some people to have like debilitating emotional disorders uh, and then other people not so much, yeah. right? Yeah, it's such a crazy thing, trauma. Yeah. Mm. Well, and it's, it's um, you know, her and I experienced the same trauma from the same abusers. Mm -hmm. We are three years apart though. Mm -hmm. And I think for my trauma, I buried it. Mm -hmm. I don't remember a lot of, of my trauma. She was older. Yeah. Um, she also believed she was protecting me and that was not the case. And a lot of her trauma as a teen and young adult mm -hmm. replayed out when I finally spoke up and mm -hmm. said, well, no, you, and not, no, you didn't protect me because that's an asshole thing to say. Um, mm -hmm. it wasn't her job. And, um, but no, you weren't alone. Mm -hmm. Um, she she also uh, has a very difficult time with that. Mm -hmm. Like she owns that in this very strange way. Um, that's not yours to carry. Mm -hmm. That that's on him, mm -hmm. not you. Um, well, she was groomed just like you were. Oh, completely. Right. Like, and thought that if she did what she was told, I would be okay. Mm -hmm. And when she found out that that was not the case, mm -hmm. that just brought this whole other. Probably right. destroyed her a little bit. Oh, just, yeah. right. Um, and for me as well, and I, this is completely a result of my trauma, um, I don't have feelings. Mm. I mean, I have feelings, but only ones that I'm in control of. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to only tell you what I want you to know. Mm -hmm. And I'm only going to, and I don't like your feelings. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have a little bit of mine but please don't put your feelings on me because that makes me very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, I'm okay with my son. I'm a teacher and I'm okay with my students. Um, but I, I just really don't like when things get messy. I just yeah. really would like you to sit over there with your feelings. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I can listen to your story mm -hmm. and I can empathize and sympathize, but I don't like your feelings. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think you you understand what I mean when I say trauma makes me just not in my body. It mm -hmm. makes me here. I will just go into my head because it's easier to live there mm -hmm. than because it's very dangerous down here. It's mm -hmm. very dangerous in the world of feelings. Um, and I've had so many therapists just say, well, you need to just sit with it. Nope. We don't sit with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and we let a little bit out from time to time <laughs> yep. and then we, you know, um, but I'm also a very pragmatic person. Mm -hmm. And I think being a middle child, the role that I played, 
I think being an enabler helps mm -hmm. that a little bit. Of course, um, eventually you become very pragmatic. You figure out what works best. and Well, and I'm a doer. Mm -hmm. I'm a human doing. I'm not a human being. I don't know how, and it was interesting because one of the things that I remember saying that I loved so much about my ex-husband mm -hmm. was the fact that he was able to just be. But I didn't understand what that meant. Like, I, I'm not capable of doing that. Mm -hmm. I need to be doing something. I have to be contributing in order to feel valuable. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not worthy. Without contribution? Now. Yeah. Right. I, I'm worthy because I, mm -hmm. you know, um, I don't like to sit. I don't like to not be doing something and I I remember I've had therapists say to me as well like just can you just be no mm -hmm. there has to like what's the point of just being yeah right um, and that's a that's a real trauma response mm -hmm. right I'm I'm only valuable when I'm doing mm -hmm. something otherwise I'm worthless exactly mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting because so much of childhood trauma I want to believe that I'm like above it, mm -hmm. right? Oh, no, I, and it's interesting because, you know, I've even had therapists say, how did you not become an addict? Or how did you not become an alcoholic? Oh, I self-soothe. Mm -hmm. I just do it in a very different way. Um, that dissociating is self-soothing. Mm -hmm. It's saying, I'm not going to, you know, Brené Brown talks a lot about when you numb the, the bad emotions, you numb the good ones. Mm -hmm. I'm very clear that I numb my good emotions too. Mm -hmm. But that's okay for me, right? And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people feel like they need to be this, um, you know, like healing is this, I'm back to this perfect thing mm -hmm. that I was before. And that's not the case. There's so much beauty in the mess of life. Like that's where the magic is. Well, and I think you just said a really important point is that healing brings us to a point we've never been to because we've never healed. Yeah. So if we are healing in order to get back to something, and I, I obviously with work, it happens a lot where people want to get back to the way things were. And, and the truth is we can't. Well, and you it's and I would have experienced trauma so young yep. that we had no, I have no frame of reference to, to what that means. 100%. Um, so, you know, I, I could see that um, students that I have maybe mm -hmm. that ha experience trauma a little bit later in life that have a memory. It, mm -hmm. it would almost be like becoming disabled or something mm -hmm. later in life yeah. where you had a, a frame of reference before. But for you and I, our trauma happened very young. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't remember what life, it's not like I'm I'm healing because I want to go back to this time when I felt Like innocent. when I was four. <laughs> like, oh, I was younger than that. Right, yeah, that's not the, that's not gonna help. No, yeah. no. Um, I need to heal the four-year-old so that the five, six, seven, and so on can start to heal too, right? Well, I, I've read a lot and it's interesting because, you know, John Bradshaw, um, mm. Brené Brown talks about it a lot. Uh, there's another, Glennon Doyle touches on it a little bit too. But like going back and giving yourself what you needed. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I'm not, I, I don't know. I didn't have yeah. good role models as parents. 
I didn't have good teacher role models. Um, I, I didn't have family or I'm not sure that I can look in my life and go, that's a person that's, that's healed or that, that I could aspire to be. Mm -hmm. I think I, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's mm -hmm. the reality of the world. I think we're all just a hot mess mm -hmm. and we're just getting through it the best that we can. And this idea that I'm somehow going to just keep working at this and one day I'm going to be this healed, wonderful mm -hmm. person is garbage. Mm -hmm. um, I'm doing the work in the trenches right mm -hmm. now, but you know what? It's not that bad in the trenches because I'm, I'm getting there, mm -hmm. right? I'm, um, well, the trenches are always like treacherous when you're not in them. So, of course, we're scared to go in them. But once we're in them, it's fine. We already know this shit anyway. Like, the trench is about yep. doing the work and gutting it out, right? And that's hard. Well, and I remember, I think you were in that. Did you do a forgiveness workshop at, maybe, at Central? Might have. And it was interesting because we were having a conversation. I think it was you leading it. Um, and I am really good at forgiving massive, mm -hmm. like, horrible things. Mm -hmm. Like, I can honestly say, I, I, I don't think I was ever actually angry at my ex-husband. Mm -hmm. I was hurt mm -hmm. and devastated, and I had those types of feelings. Mm -hmm. But, man, if the cashier at Walmart makes a mistake on my bill, mm -hmm. I'm ready to punch her out. Yeah. And it, that's a, a trauma response, 100%. too. 100%. Right? Yeah, it's overdoing like, it. It's yeah. like, oh, you, you know, molested me as a child. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to just, okay, that's I'm going to turn you on the cheek. It's okay. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, but man, don't, don't cut me off in traffic. Yeah. Right. And oh, it's that misplaced, um, yeah. <laughs> it kind of, and so misplaced. <laughs> so I, I'm a teacher and I was sitting in an IEP a few months ago. And what an IEP is, it's an individual education plan. And so children with any sort of learning disability mm -hmm. or we get these, you know, these massive groups of experts together. And one of the ladies was talking about, um, we're talking about the student who has a, a learning disability and she explained it like this. She said, um, so you come to school today and you do this amazing math lesson. You've got Cheerios and you're, you know, you lay out 10 Cheerios and you let them eat five, and then they count, and they, they're they getting this math subtraction with Cheerios, and this kid gets it, he's right on fire today, right? He's got his Cheerios out, everybody's happy, you think you finally got subtraction in this kid's brain. You come back in the next day, and you run out of Cheerios, so you lay Smarties out, mm -hmm. and little Tommy can't get it, yeah. because he filed that lesson under Cheerios, not under math. Mm -hmm. And as soon as she said that, I actually started to cry in that IEP and I went, oh my God, I have misfiled mm -hmm. so many things in my life. Like I attached, I put labels on things that were wrong. Mm -hmm. I attached feelings, emotions, memories to the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. No wonder my life is chaotic and I've got these drawers of mm -hmm. mishmash because I, I 
your brain does that. And your brain does that if you have a learning disability, but you add trauma, any sort of trauma to that, and your brain doesn't know how to file things. The filing system gets all messed up. So you might have this amazing lesson on forgiveness mm -hmm. that's filed under the, the pedophile, not the waitress who brings you the wrong soup, mm -hmm. right? Um, you may have watched, you know, for me, I just finalized my second divorce. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I thought marriage was compromise mm -hmm. because that's what we were told, right? Yep. Growing up, especially in the church, yep. women keep your mouth shut. Um, just obey compromise. your parents and <laughs> compromise. Mm -hmm. I did not understand what that meant. So I compromised all the, I, I, mm -hmm. like I turned my uh, blind eye to at least six affairs mm -hmm. that I should have, I should have been like, um, but I, I didn't want my son to grow up in a broken mm -hmm. home. He was growing up in a broken home. Our home was broken mm -hmm. and he was not seeing, he, he wasn't seeing a mom or a dad who were happy. Um, I, I filed that lesson in the wrong place, right? Um, even my worth as, as a woman was attached to, you know, when, when you think about the church, it's your place you only have value in relation to what you can give to a man, whether it's a relationship, children, um, spiritual authority, you know, spiritual submission, mm -hmm. if I can obey, right? I've never been a really great obeyer. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to rock the boat a little bit. Which is weird for an enabler, hey? Rocking the boat and enabling, it's like one of those things that we can do. It, yeah, yeah. I'm a shit disturber yeah. like in a massive way um like massive mm -hmm. and but i think part it's funny because there's some things connecting in my brain mm -hmm. that i've never really connected that before but part of it too is that i like to create the mess so that i can clean up the mess mm -hmm. and i think part of it is i would imagine that same high that you get from using mm -hmm. like that oh, I feel really good about that patch-up job that I did. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, I just drug him out of Cecil again, right? Like, you get a high from that. Of course you do. That's adrenaline, dopamine, everything. Oh, completely, right? Mm -hmm. And then especially if, um, especially if somebody says, mm -hmm. oh, you're married to an addict? Oh, that must be so hard. Mm -hmm. Or, like... I had no part in, I shouldn't have owned that. Mm -hmm. And it, beca it became part of who my identity, right? Yeah. Um, I was Shane's wife and Shane was an addict, right? Um, shame on me forever. You know, that should have, that wasn't mine. Mm -hmm. That was his, yeah. right? Um, it's the same as mom's, right? I, I'm not D anymore. I'm mm -hmm. Rhett's mom. I mean, nobody yeah. knows me as D. Everybody mm -hmm. knows me as Rhett's mom. That's what we do, Right. Um, a lot of times, whether we enable or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, we take on these roles that, you know, then we can identify mm -hmm. with and that becomes who we are. hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. Fucking blown away. <laughs> right. Jesus. What's are we that? on a tape? Yeah. What no. time are we at? Uh, Holy shit. We've been talking for an hour and 15 minutes. I knew we would be able oh, to talk. Oh, I know. Yeah. Like, I was worried I wouldn't have anything to say. I wasn't. <laughs>
He's like, I've seen your Instagram. Well, posts. and I, well, I know you're a preacher. So like you used to be a preacher. So there's no way you have a lack of words. It was funny <laughs> at my brother's funeral because your dad. So I gave, stood up and gave the eulogy and, you know, did my thing. And your dad was supposed to like deliver a sermon. Mm-hmm. He just got up and he said, I'm not following that. Mm-hmm. So we're done today. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, I think that's how we met because I spoke at mm-hmm. Central that time after. It's interesting because that is a part of who I am. I'm a mm-hmm. teacher, but there's a preacher part that you can't mm-hmm. get away from, right? And you grew up in that yep. church environment, right? Where um, there's just things inside of me that I just got to get out, mm-hmm. right? Whether I write them, whether yep. I, you know. I think that's perfectly necessary, not just for your drawers and compartments, right? But for whatever's going to happen in the future, like these things are going to be a part of that. Exactly. Um, Because they're all connected. And I think Rhett has the best thing going for him, right? Well, I hope so. Yeah. Well, I think he does. (laughs) He's got a committed human, right? And um, one who's not not afraid of being wrong and not afraid of doing the work, right? That's what kids need, you know, to do the hard shit. And a lot of times... Unfortunately, the hard shit is dealing with heartbreak, yeah. right? And dealing with heartbreak, we never thought we'd have to deal with, you know. Um, but what a what an incredible journey to be on, and you're still helping people, right? Yeah. Um, not just the kids either, right? But the kids, I'm sure, learn yeah. a great deal from you. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, I don't know. I probably said enough. <laughs> I don't know. Right on. Yeah. Is there anything you want to tell anybody that may be going through shit out there like that might help them that maybe you wish you would have heard? Um, I think the first thing is that, especially in the church, that mm. therapy is not a four-letter word. Mm. And it is okay to not go to a Christian therapist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is okay to seek help outside of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, this Andre Crouch idea that Jesus is the answer is kind of garbage mm-hmm. um that's it, it's not the, the the magic pill it's definitely um, not yeah. and that it is okay to um when we when we think in particular at the women that jesus loved mm-hmm. you know i look at the disciples the male mm-hmm. disciples were a mess but when as a woman when i look at the women that it makes jesus you wonder loved, why the females weren't disciples right uh, well, I think they were. Mm-hmm. I think that men wrote the Bible. Yeah. And they, you know. Take um, a bigger role. Don't get me started on Peter and Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, when we look at the women that Jesus loved, mm-hmm. um, Mary Magdalene was a whore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God bless her. Yeah. Uh, his mother had to love him. And mm-hmm. and don't tell me that her life was easy to mm-hmm. sit and watch that. Um, Mary and Martha were just... Martha was an enabler, mm-hmm. right? She was just that, I'm just going to fix everything. And, you know, um, when you look at those, the, the woman who anointed his, his feet with oil, they were broken women. And he didn't say, I'm going to love you. You know, the, the Samaritan woman or the, the woman that was drugged before him, the adulterous woman, even the woman with the issue of blood, right? He, he didn't say, I'm going to love you when you get your shit together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can, you can put perfume on my feet, when you've done these things. Mm-hmm. No, he loved them broken. And I think that that's the point of the whole thing is that broken, what's that Japanese? There's a Japanese art form where they put gold in the, the cracks. Gold. Yeah. Uh, Anybody and who, know what that name of that is? 
nope. who is the person who said, you know, that's the the broken places are where the light mm. comes Leonard in. Leonard Cohen. And it exactly, mm -hmm. um, and it's true. I think the things that make me the most beautiful mm -hmm. is the fact that I've been broken, mm -hmm. that I'm quirky and I'm weird mm -hmm. and I'm. Um, very short story to wrap this up. I was in Bulgaria like 30 years ago on a mission trip and um, they had, the communist government had recently fallen and the, the national cathedral had been opened up to people and a lot of Catholic icons had been destroyed mm. during this time and they were put on display in Sofia. And so I was just wandering around and went down into the basement of the church and I... I don't even know, thousands of icons, mm -hmm. thousands of paintings. But I'm walking through and there is this canvas in this room that's been slashed end to end. And it's, it's clearly a picture of Christ, but it's been slashed. I could not tell you another thing that I saw that day, mm -hmm. but I could relay in very detailed uh, description of what that painting mm -hmm. looked like. Why? Because that one was broken. That one had tremendous beauty and intrigue and because life is not mm. clean and sterile it's it's broken it's messy and I think that if there's one thing that I would say it would be that like embrace that part of you yeah. um, embrace the fact that you're not going to be perfect you're going to yell at your kids you're gonna you know um, you're gonna mess up and that's okay. It's not, you know, I say this to my students a lot. It's not the mistake. It's what you do after. Mm -hmm. It's not the, the fuck up, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's what I do with that later. Mistakes are how we grow. Mm -hmm. And no, you don't need to be abused or experience trauma. Mm -hmm. to, but if you have, that's what makes you so incredible in that moment. Mm -hmm. And, and... I truly believe that the universe, God, whatever, you are the way you are mm -hmm. because of why you are. Yeah. And and I'm this way because I need to be this mom to Rhett mm -hmm. or I need to be this friend to this person. Mm -hmm. And many times in my life, I've realized that those broken parts of me are what help fix somebody else mm -hmm. or help someone else get through and we're that way because of why mm -hmm. we're here mm -hmm. thank you so much thank you